There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you were looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen in for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper and welcome to another edition of the Business Elevation Show on Voice America. I'm delighted to be back with you again for another week. This is the 346th episode, believe it or not. We're now over eight years old and uh, and I'm just so grateful to uh, all the people around the world who are listening to this show and send me comments and feedback and uh, it's an absolute honor to, to serve you. Now, um, today we're going to talk about the healing organization. I have a, a wonderful guest today in Raj Desodia, so I'm very, very excited about that. And I think it links in, you know, beautifully with, um, you know, as you'll know, my sort of personal passions around these kinds of um, areas and engagement. And, and, and our interview last week with uh, Maria Burke who, from Let's uh, Get Healthy, who I'd like to say a big thank you to. She was a tremendous guest last week. And we talked about new world engagement and we talked about uh, how, um, you know, burnout is so prevalent today and how, um, you know, in workforces are, you know, often uh, not connecting in the ways they did before. Um, in um, you know factories and warehouses with headsets they're not able to they've got someone giving them instructions rather than talking so how do we all connect and solve mental health issues and move businesses forward so we had a lovely conversation last week lots of great information in there so do go back into the archive and access that I'd also just like to um, mention um, I had a um, you know guest um, uh, Stefan Wiesenbach uh, on the show I think last year um, wonderful guy we're, we're partners in and our work with them at Engagement Multiplier. And, and I just want to send our love because he, he, he sadly lost his son recently. Um, you know, we're very sad um, to hear about that. And also to Ailey Milnes, who's been a guest on the show, we talked about confidence. And um, she's just a very infectious, um, lovely, bubbly um, speaker who's added value to thousands of people through her talks and work. And, uh, and we'll miss her. And I think, um, to me, you know, that links in kind of just sharing those two people uh, and uh, our thoughts for them, you know, links in, I think, nicely to today's talk and the healing organization because, you know, as employees um, with families and customers and suppliers, you know, we have difficult things that are going on in our lives. And I think, as uh, my guest today, Raj, would agree, is that, you know, workplace can be a place for, for healing. Now, Raj today is a founding member of the, the groundbreaking conscious capitalism movement. Um, he's the FWLN Distinguished Professor of Global Business and a Whole Foods Market Research Scholar in Conscious Capitalism at Babson College. He's a co-founder and chairman emeritus of Conscious Capitalism, Inc. And he was born in India and spent part of his childhood in North America. He pursued an MBA in marketing uh, from uh, Jamnalal Bajaj Institute of Management Studies in Mumbai, after which he earned a PhD in marketing and business policy from Columbia University. He's now um, published his 11th book um, with HarperCollins uh, and also co-written with Michael J. Gelb called The Healing Organization, Awakening the Conscious of Business. Um, and he's also published over 100 academic articles. And, you know, it's wonderful to read out an amazing bio uh, like that. But I just want to uh, acknowledge that uh, Raj, I think, 
uh, with his work is, is being completely groundbreaking and this this movement of conscious capitalism which is you know, spread across the world um, and therefore I you know just want to give huge respect to him as, a, as just a, a truly uh, inspiring and uh, wonderful human being so uh, a big welcome to uh, Raj Sisodia. Thank you Chris, delighted to be with you today. Nice. Um, great to have you on the show. And I have to say, uh, Raj, I got up early this morning to read your book and had lots of things to do today, but I just could not, you know, I could not put it down. I was, um, I just felt uh, so compelled to keep on reading and reading because, uh, you know, I, I learned things in there, but many of the principles in the book are really resonated with me at a deep level and some wonderful stories. So I'm generally really delighted to talk to you today. Thank you. So, you know, maybe we could start, Raj. I don't know if you could maybe start by telling us a little bit about your life in India and you know you'll I also love you to share your dreams for your mother's village because that really kind of touched mm. me in something I read about you and how did that all lead to what you do today yeah so I was born in India uh, and really lived the first five years in a small uh, village uh, with my father's family my grandfather my uncles aunts cousins and so forth in a joint family in a very feudal kind of a system uh, this was, you know, India is a pretty patriarchal society anyway, and we happen to be part of the warrior caste. You know, India still has that caste system going. And so this was a very, uh, not only patriarchal, but hyper-masculine, feudal, in many ways misogynistic uh, subculture that I experienced. So I saw the abuses of that all around me, the way people were treated, the way women were treated, uh, and the domineering kind of hyper what we would now call toxic masculine energy that was all around me. And that kind of planted a seed in me, which would germinate decades later in a book that talked about the importance of the feminine. And we uh, have to elevate that in order to heal the world and heal ourselves, because that's what's been missing in all societal institutions which have been dominated by men and by masculine energy. And in the absence of the feminine, that has become hyper-masculine. So I got sensitized to that, and I happened to be brought up by a mother who was essentially a single mother because my father was away at college and getting his PhD in Canada. And so we were pretty much uh, just the two of us uh, in that system. And I'm very much like her. So I really uh, was uh, shaped and formed really by her you know, way of being you know, in many ways. So I think that I credit that. And then if I fast forward, but in those days, at least the, uh, the ecosystem you know, was healthy in the sense that uh, the agriculture was being practiced uh, with a lot of traditional wisdom and the systems were working and things were thriving. But if I look at fast forwarding now, so that part was sort of on the personal home front, but then I look at what's happening in the world. You know, I went to both my father's village and my mother's village and I was uh, pretty devastated a couple of years ago and I saw that it's pretty dead now. I said, well, you know, I told my brother, I said, what's different? You know, it just feels so different being here because we used to come here all the time as kids. And he said, yeah, yeah there's, there's, uh, there are no more birds now, you know, in this farming village. So what do you mean? So yeah, the, the sparrows and the crows and uh, the parrots and even the vultures are all dead, all gone. And he said, there's no butterflies and there's no bees and there's no earthworms in the ground. And all you see now are monkeys and people. And I said, why? He said, it's all the insecticides and pesticides and aggressive marketing of of various things now coming from Western companies and others which are getting these farmers completely hooked on these things, destroying the land and the ecosystem around them. And I saw the same in my mother's village where my brother showed me a, a, an aerial image from Google Earth of the terrain surrounding that village. And there's a big, beautiful blue river that 
comes up uh, close to about five, four or five miles from where that village is. And that's where a textile plant was established uh, some decades ago. And if you look at what happens downstream, that big, beautiful blue river and surrounded by greenery on both sides is now reduced to a tiny black trickle and surrounded by gray. Right? There's no life anywhere around it. Um, and so this lifeline has literally been destroyed. There's literally nothing living in that water downstream, not even bacteria. It's so toxic, right? And I said, this is what we have done. Is that the price of progress? So we're ruining, you know, destroying our ecosystem in the pursuit of immediate you know, outcomes and uh, immediate uh, yields from the land and so forth. So there's a need for healing within the home. There's a need for healing uh, at work or, or through our businesses as well. And that's kind of what I became sensitized to. And this idea of healing has become really uh, central to my way of thinking. Wow. And um, you know, you've, you've gone on and, and, and done all sorts of things moving over to, to uh, back to America. And, and this, the, in your work, you've, um, so you wrote the, the Conscious Capitalism and with John Mackey. And uh, you know, this seemed to really, for me, kind of put your work and thinking on the map because this has become a you know, very famous uh, book. And I just wondered, were you surprised by how the Conscious Capitalism movement spread and, uh, and how is that movement developing now? Is there genuine, you know, with these trends to people uh, being concerned more about the environment and, uh, yeah. and being kind to each other, are you seeing that growing and developing? Yes, it's definitely growing. <clears throat> and I would say... A surprise, but probably more gratified is the word. You know, this is something that uh, a number of us believed passionately in, and then we found lots of resonance all over the world with people who had been operating in the system but not feeling a part of it or not feeling uh, resonate resonant with it because it really violates your own sense of, uh, you know, how you would like to live your life. So we kind of had to create this whole world of work that operated by its own rules. You kind of left your values and your caring and your human qualities at home and you kind of went to do battle right you put on your mask and armor and that's how you're supposed to be and all the cliches about business it's not personal it's business it's a dog eat dog world out there it's only the paranoid survive there is no free lunch you know etc etc it perpetuates a mindset of uh, scarcity of uh, a win-lose world where my gain only comes at uh, your your expense uh, hyper-masculine world, lots of fear and stress in the workplace, heart attacks higher on Mondays, you know, people dying literally because of stress, 120,000 Americans a year and so forth. So there's just a tremendous amount of suffering out there in the world of work. And uh, when we are able to show people, and by the way, for me, the path actually uh, before the Conscious Capitalism book with John Mackey was a book that I wrote in 2007 called Firms of Endearment, How World-Class Companies Profit from Passion and Purpose. And that was kind of my first foray into this world. And it really came out of a sense of frustration with business as usual. I felt companies were spending a lot of money on things like marketing and employee turnover and so forth and um, you know, creating a lot of waste, uh, inefficiency, ineffectiveness and ethical problems as well, especially in marketing. And as a marketing PhD and a professor, I was very concerned about what are we doing? And how, you know, we're spending a trillion dollars in 2004 in the United States on marketing, and that was the GDP of India that year. Ah. And I said 1.1 billion people are managing to survive on what we're spending on ads, coupons, and junk mail for 300 million people. 
And what are we getting for that for customers, companies, and society? And all my research for a decade had led me to conclude that we're not getting much. And in fact, we're getting a lot of negative things alongside the lack of effectiveness. Uh, you know, we're having a negative impact on the culture. We're leading to diabetes and obesity and all kinds of unhealthy lifestyle choices because of overconsumption and aggressive marketing of things that we know are not good for people. Right? We're impacting children and we're impacting young girls when we use female bodies to sell products. What does that do to their sense of self and their body image and, uh, you know, eating issues and, and depression and so forth? There's a lot to uh, hold us to account for because in the process of making money, we are having a huge impact on, on the culture and on people's lives. And those are the casualties of business that we don't account for. The human cost of, of doing business is nowhere accounted for. And I think that's what we start to get, need to get into. So that book, Firms of India, was looking for companies that don't spend a lot of money on marketing and yet have customers who love them. And I said, look, norm is the opposite. Your companies spend hundreds of millions of dollars and, and you cannot buy loyalty and trust. And those things have been plummeting even as marketing spending was rising. And so we found a bunch of companies where customers loved them, but so did the employees and communities and suppliers were loyal to them and so forth. So they were stakeholder oriented. And we found that what held them together was the sense of shared purpose and shared values, that they were all on the same side of the table, regardless of whether they were customers, investors, employees, suppliers, etc. They all believed in what that business was trying to do and they were allied with it to make it succeed. So there was a sense of a higher purpose that was shared. So Whole Foods, for example, has a purpose around food and health and educating people that what they put into their bodies makes a difference to their health, to the health of the food system and ultimately to the health of the planet. And if you believe in that, you should shop there. And if you believe in that, you should work there. And if you believe in that, you should become a supplier or an investor or welcome them into your community. And that's, you know, creates this alignment. Right, where everybody's now working on the same side, they're all working towards the success of this enterprise. And so in order to do that, we need conscious leaders who care about people and purpose ahead of power and ego and money. And then we have cultures that are rooted in trust and caring, genuine caring and love for, for people at the core. And they're not filled with fear and stress. Right? They're joyful places to work. This is a workplace that feels like a playground and not a prison. Because you're doing something meaningful in the company of people you admire and love. And so that became, those became the tenets or pillars of conscious capitalism, which uh, then led to me meeting Whole Foods, uh, the CEO of Whole Foods, John Mackey, which is one of the companies we wrote about. And we decided to launch a movement in 2008. And by the way, one of the things we found at the end of our research, which was very significant, is that even though we hadn't selected these companies based on their financial performance, we had 28 of them in that book, uh, we looked at their financial performance after the fact and we said, okay, how did they do? Given that they're paying their employees much better, in some cases double, like Costco pays double of Walmart, providing much better benefits like healthcare, Starbucks provides uh, healthcare even to part-time employees. Uh, they're investing in their suppliers, they're not squeezing them, so suppliers are profitable and innovative. They're investing in their communities, they're investing in the environment, and they were paying taxes at a higher rate, 34% on average. So we said maybe the financial returns are good but not spectacular because these companies are not trying to maximize profit. And what we actually found blew us away because these companies had outperformed the market by a 9 to 1 ratio over a 10 year period. And we said, wow, not only is there no uh, penalty or sacri financial sacrifice to being this way, this is actually the path to superior long term financial results as well. And we don't have to choose 
between being good for people and good for society and good for the future and good for the environment and having good financial results. So the two go hand in hand when you think about it in the right way. So that was a revelation in, in some ways. And so that book became somewhat foundational to the movement and, and that then led to everything that has followed in the next 11, subsequent 11 years. Okay. So we're just going to go to commercial break now and we'll be back with you again in a couple of minutes. business you'll find the experts here voice america business network would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential chris cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the achiever program one-to-one mentoring and coaching facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm talking with uh, Raj Sodia. We're talking about the healing organization, Awakening the Conscience of Business to Help Save the World. And uh, if you're listening to this live, apologies for slight technical problem. I disappeared at the end of the last section. Um, I think it's the first time it happened for quite a few years now. So um, apologies for that, but we're, we're back now with you. So Raj, um, I'm kind of, uh, you know, it's just an amazing story about how you've, uh, you came to create this, this um, book, uh, latest book, and, uh, you know, wonderful journey and, uh, you know, really resonate with the this whole sort of concept of healing and how you know democracy and capitalism has not uh, is not it's had some you know benefits, but it's also not helped around uh, you know organisations uh, healing and caring and um, uh, supporting in the world as much as they should have been. I wonder what what basic human need do businesses often forget to address that a healing organisation addresses? Well, it's the human uh, need to belong. Uh, to feel cared for, to feel, uh, to have an opportunity to express our own innate uh, need and desire to care for others, 
uh, it's our desire for psychological safety, you know, and feeling safe, uh, and our ability to be vulnerable, and uh, ourselves, and be fully human and be who we are at all times. All of those things are precluded from the world of business for the most part. Like I said earlier, you kind of expected to uh, put on your mask and armor and go to work, right? And then, you know, battle your competitors and capture some market share. It's a very sort of uh, militaristic way of thinking that we have uh, in the world of business. Now, I remember a scene from The Godfather where the Godfather gets somebody killed, and then later on the son of that person is at the wedding, and the Godfather meets with him and puts his arm around him and says, don't take it personal, it's just business. Mm. Right? I killed your father, but it was just business, and you're supposed to be okay with that, right? Yeah. So this is how we think about business, right? And it's just, you know, the metaphor of the warfare and military, the way all of that happened is that when companies started to grow to scale, the only large organizations that existed were armies. And so when we're trying to figure out how do we lead and manage thousands or tens of thousands of people, we look to armies. And so we adapted uh, things like the hierarchical organizational structure and the command and control approach to leadership, and then subsequently the language of the military. Strategy, tactics, operations, front lines, headquarters, staff, line, these are all military terms. And I was just in Montreal yesterday and my host was saying, um, yeah, we have a boot camp set up you know, for our people to do this and then we're going to provide them with ammunition to do that. And I mm. said, just think about your language here, right? You know, we're not running, we're not fighting a war here. Business is the ultimate win-win game in the world. War is the ultimate lose-lose, even the winner has lost. And yet our thinking is suffused with that. And it really comes from this hyper-masculine energy that has pervaded not only our business uh, systems and culture, but also our democracies. And hence, we have all of this suffering that comes as, you know, both of those are wonderful systems. Democracy and capitalism are incredible systems rooted in human freedom and dignity. But because we didn't have an adequate sort of balance between the masculine and feminine energies, they have also become sources of, of uh, division and suffering uh, in our societies. Mm. One of the um, sort of uh, little memes, little statements in the in the book that kind of resonated with me was a saying in there: "Nice people don't get on in business." And uh, I think I think it came from a story around in Jaipur rugs. And I yes. think that's um, yes. you know that's an interesting one as well. That you've got to be you think about things like the. Um, the um, sort of programs with with Donald Trump, The Apprentice, and things like that, which right. became very popular, and some of the behaviours yeah. that you see, which is all about winning, and and these people aren't often very yes. particularly pleasant. Uh, it's about yeah. but, um, it's a mindset, you know. Even the show called Shark Tank, yes, which is about people pitching new ideas. Now, why does it have to be a Shark Tank? You know, mm. We have people looking to create something of value that is going to serve people and meet real needs, and in that sense, heal them. Why is it a shark tank? Right? It's just our way of thinking. Yeah, I just can't watch those programs anymore. I, I, I don't. I, I'm anywhere near them. <laughs> so my my wife's a a general practitioner, and she she suffered burnout in the in the health service. And I just think quite fascinating with that. You know, the health service, which is something where you know there is a the profession is about caring for patients, yeah. but it's one that seems to be often, certainly in this country, is run by bureaucrats and administrators, and they put all sorts of roadblocks in the way, and and it's it doesn't seem to care about its its people, um, yes. and it's always tripping itself up, and it just seems that we, you know, maybe the the 
the picture isn't right. I think you talk in the book about um, the importance of having kind of the right picture. Um, uh, you know, and that that um, is more important, and, and that imp- impacts that picture impacts whether you have bad leaders or good leaders. Often, what do you mean by picture? Yeah, I mean, I mean, what I'm, I, I sort of took from it is having having this bigger picture around you know being a conscious organisation and, and well, caring and you yeah. know the, those sorts of things rather than it being about profit. Right. Yeah, no, I think it's very true what you're saying. I mean, as I say, the sad irony is that even our healing professions have become places of suffering. You know, people become doctors and nurses because they truly are following a calling in most cases, right? They want to heal. They want to be part of that. And But the way in which we lead, manage, run, and organize uh, those activities uh, leads to tremendous suffering. And that's true here in the U.S. as well. We don't have a national health care service. It's private, but still there's tremendous suffering. Doctors, nurses, uh, veterinarians even have higher rates of depression and drug addiction and even suicide than the general population. So that's a really like a canary in the corner. That's telling us the way we work isn't working. We need to rethink this. You know, a lot of times doctors and nurses, when we talk about these ideas, you find them crying. They move to tears. They said, nobody cares about us. And we're expected to care and take care and, and save the lives of patients, and we want to do that. But there's nobody taking care, thinking about our well-being, you know, and yeah, how we're I suffering, and how much we're burning out. I mean, burnout is at epidemic levels uh, in the world of healthcare, right? And it's just uh, it's a sad reality that physicians don't know how to look after themselves, and the system actually abuses them uh, tremendously. Mm. So we need to heal the healers. You know, we need to, as my, my co-author on one of my books, Bob Chapman, when he speaks to this, he says, you know, we should think about loved ones caring for loved ones. In other words, the people who we ask to care for others in hospitals should themselves be loved right, by by the system and by the administrators and, and by each other. But we don't do that. And it's a lovely story in there. Did you mention Bob Chapman there? Mm-hmm. It was Bob, yeah, and there's a wonderful story about, about him. You've got to describe... You know, in your book, you have various uh, heroes who are really, uh, really sort of um, embodied these kinds of principles. I just wonder if you want to share Bob's story because I thought that was um, a wonderful story to. Yeah, yeah. Bob is the CEO of a company called Barry Waymiller, which is based in St. Louis. It's about a 130-year-old company now, but Bob's father actually acquired an ownership stake in it uh, back in the 60s. It was a struggling and dying business at that point. It originally used to provide uh, uh, products for the uh, brewing industry, the beer industry in, uh, in uh, St. Louis, and eventually evolved into more of a packaging machinery manufacturing company. But it was struggling and uh, <clears throat> losing money when Bob, his father, died in 1975, and he inherited it. And, uh, you know, he then set about with his, you know, he had a business uh, MBA from the University of Michigan, and he did all those typical uh, things, you know, with lots of layoffs and cost cutting and trying to fix the processes and all of that. And, and got the business ultimately in a survival mode, you know, out of this bankruptcy uh, setting and then <clears throat> started to grow the business. And then eventually he had a number of epiphanies or awakenings. As he was a father at the same time uh, with a blended family with he and his wife having children from early marriages and, and, and another child. So he's trying to be a very conscious uh, parent. And as he learned more about parenting, he started to see parallels between parenting and leadership. And he started to think of both as the stewardship of the lives entrusted to us. 
And that leadership is about enabling people to become who they are meant to be. It's not about using them to achieve your goals. And so, just like the children. Right? And then you also have these uh, awakenings that happened in one happened in a, at a wedding, where the father of the bride was walking the daughter down the aisle and and uh, then said the ceremonial words that he was told to say at the, at the rehearsal dinner that her mother and I give our daughter to be wed. But Bob was looking at that and, and thinking, because he had his own daughter, two of his daughters had already been married. He said, I know what my friend is thinking. He said, this is our precious child. And now that she's entering this marriage, we're entrusting that you will each continue to enable each other to grow and, uh, and become who you're meant to be through this marriage, right? Because we care so deeply about her. And his thought was that every one of the 7,000 people who work for me at that time, I was about 15, 16,000. <clears> he said, all 7,000, each of them is somebody's precious child. And so why should I not care about their well-being the way I would care about my daughter's, uh, my, my son, uh, friend's daughter or my own, my own daughter? So from that day on, that became a mantra in the business. Everybody is somebody's precious child and they're worthy of our love and respect and care. And then another one happened at a church where the, where the uh, pastor gave a, an uplifting sermon and uh, the whole congregation was inspired and left after an hour or so, uh, inspired to be better human beings. And Bob was watching that and said, you know, Ed only gives a sermon for 30 minutes or so a week. Uh, I've got people for 40 hours a week. And what am I doing to inspire them? You know, and I realized nothing. You know, they come in and they punch their time, uh, time cards and then <clears throat> the bell rings when they're able to uh, allowed to use the bathroom uh, and take a break. Uh, and then at the end of the day, they physically get searched to make sure they're not stealing anything as they leave the factories. Wow. So, you know, I said, he said, my ability to impact people's lives could be a hundred times greater than the churches mm -hmm. if, we, if we actually do that in the right way, right? Because we've got them for that long. And so on. And so, you know, he had other awakenings as well around recognition and celebration where somebody said to him, you know, you do nine things right, nobody notices, you do one thing wrong, you never hear the end of it. And he realized that that's a really bad thing to do with children, to only point out when they make mistakes. And he said, that's also a bad thing to have in a company culture where we never acknowledge the good things people do and we only focus on the bad. You know? So all of that now became part of the culture. They just started completely transforming and they started to use the phrase, we measure success by the way we touch the lives of people. That became their guiding sort of principle, right? Everything that they do, how is it going to impact the lives of people, our employees, their children, families, communities, customers, etc. It's all about people. Their purpose is their people. Mm -hmm. right? They don't define their purpose in terms of the machines they make and what they do for customers. It's really about the impact on people. And every business has people. So that's a universal purpose that all businesses can, in fact, adopt. That became the basis for the company's extraordinary turnaround Right, and uh, they just started to see almost miraculous results, and they started to acquire. And they already been acquiring a bunch of companies. They started to acquire companies that were distressed, many of them under bankruptcy, and <clears throat> turned them around. Uh, same people, same business, same location. These are little uh, towns in the industrial Midwest of the United States, in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and Ohio and so forth, and and company after company. So by Two years ago, he had acquired 108 companies and never sold a single one and <clears throat> turned them all around. I mean, the phrase that I use or the metaphor was was adoption in the book that I wrote with him called Everybody Matters. He said, he doesn't buy companies, he adopts them. He said, adopting is like a child, right? Let's say you adopt five kids. At some point, you don't say, well, we only need three kids now, so we're going to let two of you go, you know? 
and that's what he does with companies. They become part of the family, and they're they're in now for you know, forever essentially. And <clears throat> give those people a future. Give them their children, those communities. I mean, there are little towns like Phillips, Wisconsin, with a total population of four uh, fourteen hundred, and about uh, six hundred and fifty people work at this company. So literally every single family is affected by this company. Right, this whole town would disappear if this company died. Mm-hmm. And and he has now given that town a few because they had already been in bankruptcy and sent a third of their manufacturing to Brazil, and he brought it back from Brazil and he said we're going to pay people fairly and treat you superbly, and we're going to compete globally, <clears throat> right here in Green Bay, Wisconsin, or Phillips, wherever we happen to be. You know and that that has guided them now and has led to enormous success, and it also kind of led me to this idea of business as healing because as I thought about what Bob does. You know, and, and when I asked him a couple of years ago when I met him, I said, how are you doing? And <clears throat> what are you up to? He said, well, we're looking at another 10 to 12 acquisitions this year. And I said, wow, we already have 108. And uh, why do you, I know, I said, Bob, you have 26 grandchildren. <laughs> I know, and 108 companies, like when the number of companies way exceeds the number of grandchildren, maybe, maybe there's enough, you know, maybe why aren't you like just enjoying life now and taking it easy? He's in his mid-70s, he's flying all over the world in his jet and doing all these things. And he said to me, you know, I don't know how much time I have left. And on my deathbed, I will not be proud of the machines we built or the money I made. I will be proud of the lives we touched. Mm. And I said, Bob, you're not growing a business, you're spreading a healing ministry. Mm. You You are bringing hope and a future to people and their families and their communities. I said, there are, there are towns where people are waiting for you to show up, right? So he feels an obligation to grow, right? Now, many people want to grow from ego. Yes. Right, many companies, it's, it's like the empires of history. Why did they grow and, you know, Alexander the Great or Ashoka the Great or Akbar the Great or whatever. It was about this insatiable lust for power and riches and fame driving that and and how do you do it through conquest through war through killing extraordinary human suffering just to feed an, an insatiable ego and that's one energy that applies in business as well there are plenty of businesses that grow that way oh. right in today's world but what bob is doing is he's he's growing a healing ministry right and he and, and life gets better when bob shows up in town right whereas life gets pretty bleak when say 3G capital comes calling yeah. out of Brazil, which is sort of our, our poster child on the opposite end of the spectrum. Well, I'm not sure if it was whether it was 3G capital, but I, I used to work for a company called United Biscuits, who were mm. taken over by the same um, venture capitalist firm who owned Heinz. And oh yeah, uh, that's that's it. That's 3G capital. Well, so I, I bought Heinz. They bought Kraft. They were trying to buy Unilever. Okay, one of the iconic conscious companies yeah. in the world would have been destroyed yeah. a couple of years ago had they succeeded. So I, I wish I'd experienced, rather than being in a room with 3G Capital, um, standing, talking to the employees, and I'll never forget that that day, and explaining how, in a company that was actually doing pretty well, how um, our jobs were all at risk and we would be, you know, kind of, some people would be going, but some people would be saying, and uh, how this uh, team of people were brought in who were, uh, um, you know, pretty, who was serious, had an attitude that we know better than you do. Uh, and, and I felt at the time kind of stripped the heart out mm-hmm. of, uh, mm-hmm. uh, of um, 
of, of the business really compared to oh, where it had been. Um, so yeah. I've, exp- I've experienced that firsthand. You know exactly. I mean, that's that's. Uh, so I, I was just thinking, yeah, I was just thinking yeah. how I would have loved to have seen Bob Chapman come in and uh, and how the the conversation would have been so different. Oh. I mean, he went to France and bought a company, you know, and everybody said, don't go to France. I mean, it's very difficult to do business there. And he said, well, there are people like everybody else. And, and the French people, you know, they went to uh, one of the other acquisitions to ask how it was. And then they came back and they had tears. They said, we don't just give our approval. We, we, are, we are begging you to buy this company. We've been waiting for you, you know, because they're going to, life gets better when Bob Chapman shows up. So I think that idea of healing and a healing leader and doing it for the right reason, Right, growing for the right reasons, I think, is very, very important because when you grow for the wrong reasons, it causes suffering. It's a kind of cancer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, got to go to commercial break now, but um, thank you for that. That was really, it's a really engaging story and uh, really helpful. I think putting things into perspective and how we how we can be um, versus, for example, venture capitalists. So we'll be back again um, with you just in in just a couple of minutes. So do uh, stay on, and uh, we look forward to speaking to you soon. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One to one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Raj Sodia, and we're talking about the healing organization, uh, which is uh, Raj and Michael J. Gelb's new book. Um, Raj, I, one of the stories that I, I loved in the book as well was Jaipur Rugs, and, and it got me thinking. I think there was a message at the end of it, which was about having how the importance of in, innocence um, and being more innocent um, is actually a really important leadership. Yes. Hi, Chris. Sorry, you got out there. Hello. Okay, so I can give the story. Uh, so Jaipur Rugs is a company based in uh, Jaipur that's in the business of producing hand-woven uh, carpets, uh, which are made by typically by women mostly, 
who come from the weaver community uh, in India, and this is an ancient art form that they've been practicing uh, for centuries. And but it is an industry uh, that's filled with exploitation. That these women, first of all, are part of a a caste that is considered untouchable in India. And for those of you who know about that, you can imagine what kind of a life uh, they have to live, especially being women. You know, about the lowest on the totem pole in India is to be born a female in an untouchable family. And you have access to everything that's left over after the boys and men are able to get what they want and need. And so whether it's education or food, uh, the girls are fed last and cared for last, and then they have to work much more in the home and look after their siblings and help cook them and do all of that. And most of them end up being illiterate. Uh, and then they get married off at an early age and they have to go and do all of that in their new husband's family and the husband might be an alcoholic and abusive and they have to have children and cook and clean and look after the household as well as make carpets and, and earn money. And there they are abused by the contractors who come to these villages with uh, contracts for carpets and, uh, and, and ultimately end up underpaying or not paying on time, etc. So, you know, and abusing these women in other ways. So their lives are hell. <clears throat> the, uh, Mr. N.K. Chaudhary, who is now known as the Gandhi of the carpet industry in India, he saw all of this and he saw the extraordinary suffering. And he himself was a very simple, uh, innocent soul, you know, growing up, very simple. And people told him, you're a wonderful human being, but you can never succeed in business. You'll get eaten alive. But he said, no, I want to bring this to, to business. And he said, I want to serve and take care and help these women. Because these are truly innocent souls. They have never done anything to harm anybody. And everybody's out there exploiting and using and abusing them. I want to serve them. I want to lift them up. I want to uh, give them a better life. I want to pay them well. I want to educate them. You know, I want to <clears throat> create a company where all of that can happen. And we fast forward to today, there are 40,000 of these women working uh, with Jaipur Rugs. And their lives have truly been transformed. And the foundation has educated them. Help them with their children. I know I interviewed a woman named Shanti who had five children, was almost on the verge of starvation multiple times in her life. All the stories of abuse and uh, that I and neglect that I talked about. And when she found Jaipur Raj, and now her life is completely transformed. Uh, one of her daughters has already graduated college, one will, one is in college, one eleventh, one tenth, a boy in seventh. There are five children who will now graduate from college from what was an illiterate woman, untouchable woman, and now her life is completely transformed. And she says of Mr. Chaudhary, I said, how do you feel about him? She said, I don't have words to describe him. She said, he's to me more than a, my mother and my father. To me, he is God, because he has given me life. I didn't have a life, and now I have a life, and my children have a life. So that's the power of business, and that's the power of innocence. You know, what Mr. Chaudhary recognizes today is that quality that he brought, that purity of intent, that lack of malice, that lack of manipulation, of cunning, is really what is serving him and enabling his business actually to outcompete all the others. It's healing not only the weavers, it's healing the customers who are now being told the stories. You know, they're saying you're not buying a carpet, you're, you're, you're receiving a family's blessings when you buy this carpet, because you're enabling this whole family now to be uplifted. Customers are being healed, the weavers, the whole supply chain, everybody is being healed by that. And so that's one of the essential qualities. And actually, one of the things that came to me in the process of writing this book was this, this vision of what we needed. The four things that the world of business has gotten away from that we need, which are 
love, innocence, simplicity and truth. And if we can adopt these, then we will truly heal not only our employees and our customers, but ourselves as leaders, if we can embrace these ideas of love, innocence, simplicity and truth. Because we've gotten very far away from all of those. Wow. Uh, yeah, w- w- wonderful. Uh, could become be a wonderful set of values for a company. Uh, and I just wonder what the world would be like if we had if the majority of vast majority of businesses operated in that way you know what kind of a special place would we live in mm-hmm. yeah well, absolutely i mean that would be heaven on earth right yes <laughs> it really is i don't know how else you define it you know uh the fact is there are cunning people out there and there are all kinds of you know reasons why that happens and but but uh, you know we need to empower we need to put in put into positions of power the people who come from that power and virtue need to go together, power and innocence. And, you know this is not the naive and helpless innocence of a child, this is the knowing and powerful innocence of a mature adult, right, who has come to that place. You know uh, which which is, is is rare to find, but those individuals are out there. And, and is that about is that about somebody who's just able to kind of connect with, you know, a deep kind of well within them of, uh, you know, of love and doing what's right and, and as you described there, innocence and simplicity and truth, being able to access that. Um, yes, yes, so they have healed, they've, they've, you know, most of us have suffered traumas in our life and our, we have a wounded inner child within us, you know, that child was innocent, that child was pure, that child was idealistic, etc. You were born with certain qualities. And then all these things happen in life and we lose touch with that essence, you know, who we were, who we are. And we need to go back and reconnect to that and reclaim that innocence. We have to choose it. You know, we are born innocent, we don't have a choice. But later in life we can choose innocence of a different kind, as I said, the innocence on the other side of wholeness. And so that's that child energy that is essential for us, but it's not, I, mean, I talk about the four energies that we need. Uh, to be whole, healthy humans, to be uh, healing leaders and to create healing organizations and societies that are also healed, uh, which is the elder energy, which is sort of divine or parent energy, that wisdom, which is about meaning and purpose and legacy and so forth. Um, There's the child energy, which is about innocence and joy and creativity and playfulness and fun. Uh, And then there's the the father energy of achievement and uh, resilience and courage and determination and the mother energy of love, care, compassion, empathy, inclusiveness, etc. We need to have the healthy manifestations of all four of these energies and cultivate those within us. It, it, it's a, you know, it's quite it's a it's quite a straightforward way, isn't it, to to think about it in terms of those those energies and uh, and, and you're right, you bring all of those together. That's where where the kind of magic happens, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. And if you think about great leaders, think about, you know, we, you used the, my co-author Nilima Bhatt on an earlier book called Shakti Leadership uses the phrase, we need to become wise fools of tough love. So we're wise and foolish at the same time. Think about the Dalai Lama. Such deep wisdom. You know, think about uh, Bishop Desmond Tutu, right? There's deep wisdom and there's infectious joy. I mean, you know, he's yeah. giggling all the time, right? Yeah. Both of them, right? Yes. And tough and love. Right? Wise, full of tough love. So we have to be, as Martin Luther King said, tough-minded and tender-hearted at the same time. It's not one or the other. 
Yeah. The problem we have in, in the world is there's too much polarized thinking. We're kind of bipolar. We go to one or the other of these extremes. The fact is we have to be tough and loving. You know, being strong without being loving, you know, makes you, you could be tyrannical. And being loving without strength, uh, you be, become ineffective. So you need both. That combination, that's a combination of masculine and feminine, and then the elder and child. Excellent. So just uh, found myself taking some notes there. Uh, it's a lovely way to, to think about uh, those qualities and bringing those all together. Now, I'm wondering for people who are kind of be listening to this now and they're thinking, you know, I've got, I've got my organization and hopefully, you know, maybe they're leading in a leadership or an influential role in the organization um, or, or an employee. How, how do they go about maybe, you know, influencing step change and what might be the first step to take to really start to move on this journey to being much more of a healing organization? Mm. Well, you know, as James Baldwin said, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. So we have to open our minds and hearts to the possibility that there is silent suffering in our organization all around us. It's like the radio waves. You can't see the radio waves that are floating around you, right? But there's millions of them. Uh, there's so much suffering that's going on. If you could see a thought bubble above the heads of everybody in our offices and just learn what they're thinking about or dealing with or, or facing the prospect of, uh, you know, our hearts would be broken routinely. And so we need to create an environment in which people can actually share and be willing and able you know, to, be, uh, to be fully human there. And I think it starts with the leader. So if the leader is willing to become vulnerable and open and honest and, and share with people, here are my struggles, here are my challenges, this is what I'm worried about, etc. Right? And, and then create an environment where people can do that as well. Right? And also... So one of the phrases I like to use is that there are two things that are in the hidden in the corporate closet that are not allowed to be spoken of or, or, you know, or seen. And those are love and suffering. Right? We have tremendous need and capacity for love as individuals, but organizations typically do not enable that to be expressed. Right? So all of that is locked away in a closet. And then we have all the suffering that people are going through. But yeah, we have to appear strong and stoic. And when I say people are stoic and they're even heroic. They're walking around with, with extraordinary burdens all the time and they're not complaining about it. And they're doing their work. It's heartbreaking in a way. You know? Yeah. But, but we don't need to do that. We can take off that armor, you know, and, and allow ourselves to express what's really going on, right? And so if we allow love as well as suffering to come out of the closet, be in the open, those two things will heal each other. We have the ability to help and heal each other if only we are given the opportunity to do so. Right? If I don't know how you are suffering, how can I do anything for you? And if you don't know how I'm suffering, how can you do anything for me? If, if nothing else, then just lend an empathetic ear. But usually it's much more than that that we can do for each other. You know, one of the uh, visions that came to me in a silent retreat that I did in preparation for writing this book was I saw this... Uh, like from above, a long line of people standing in the hot sun waiting for a hug from this tiny little woman at the end of the line. And she's known as the hugging saint of India. She's known as mm. Anna, which means mother, right? Mm. She travels all over the world and all she does is uh, hug people. She doesn't even say anything to them. And they experience unconditional deep love and they walk away in tears having not said a word, right? And it heals them at some level. But the message that I got from looking at that scene in my mind's eye 
was that all these people could be hugging each other, that they have what they're looking for, that each of them has what the others need, right? That we don't need to go to another person, another place in order to get that. We have it within us, right? The answer to our suffering lies within us and with each other. But we have to take that first step and create the conditions where people feel safe to do so. And that's that's what leaders can do. Can Fantastic. Well, we've come to the end of the interview now, and um, it's been amazing talking to you and, and hearing these stories. And uh, it's... it's uh, yeah, an amazing book that you've written. I think um, I'm sure this will take the legacy uh, a little bit further as well. Um, but uh, but thank you. Do you have a final message you'd like to leave us with? Well, I think every one of us in our personal lives as well as in our work lives can think of ourselves as healers. It doesn't matter what business you are in, every single business in the world is fundamentally about healing because it is about us taking care of each other through this mechanism called the business. Right? In a free society, we don't, government doesn't meet our needs. We're supposed to meet our, each other's needs, right? Sense and respond to each other's needs. And if you do that with an attitude of genuine caring and service, that I want to understand what you need and then I want to fulfill your needs, uh, that's, that's healing. When I meet your needs, I make you whole in that dimension, right? So each of us can do that in our businesses, doesn't matter what they are, and in our lives, right? So how do we look for opportunities to alleviate suffering and to elevate joy and to enable healthy growth in our children as well as in the people who work in our companies. To me, that's ultimately what this life is about, right? And if we can do that, each of us, and think about that as as our purpose in life, it's a healing purpose, then I think we will create extraordinary flourishing and well-being all around us. There's no limit to what we human beings are capable of doing. You know, love is an infinitely powerful energy that we have within us. And we can deploy that through business and amplify it even further. So just want to say a huge thank you to Rasha Sodia. And uh, please go out and buy um, this amazing book, Healing Organization. You can go to Amazon.com and uh, .co.uk. Um, also, do check out more from Raj at rajasodia.com. Um, and on next week's show, we have Thorsten Jackal. We're going to be talking about um, using all of the di- digital technology that you've got available to you for a greater sort of uh, success and efficiency and productivity at work. So once again, a huge thank you to Raj Sodia. I look forward to being back again with you next week. We thank you for listening to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.